I don't know if anybody had trouble uh, with the uh, daylight savings time today. Maybe a couple of people. You know, I set my alarm just fine. I went to bed real early, and, you know, my alarm went off just like it was supposed to, and I got up and did everything I normally do. But sometime in the morning, I started looking at my watch. And I thought I was an hour ahead. And uh, to my surprise, I was not. I somehow lost an hour. Okay, Bridge Kids, thank you. Uh, you are dismissed. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Um, really encourage you to follow in a Bible. And if, if you need a Bible, just slip up your hand, and we have ushers. We'd be glad to give you one. We have them at the doorway when you come in every week, and you can just grab one. If you need a Bible, just slip up your hand, please. It would be very helpful. Over here, guys, we have one. Anybody else? Just slip up your hand. We'll just be glad to give you a Bible, and you can use it, and you can put it back on the table when you're done. If you need one, you can take one home. So the title of the message today is to stay online, and I guess I should start by saying what it is not, because I don't want any uh, 12 or 13-year-olds going home and saying, the pastor said I should always have screen time, and that's not what this is about. We live in a day of religious pluralism. The assumption is, is that all religions are true, or at least partially true. Uh, in our culture, to believe there's only one true God and only, for example, an influential spokesperson and TV host that I had never heard of until uh, recently, Rabbi Shmuley Botek stated this, and, and he is a current, uh, like a 50-year-old he says, I'm absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. Mahatma Gandhi, a nonviolent champion in India's quest uh, to oppose British rule in the 1940s, said this, My position is that all great religions are fundam fundamentally equal. And then there's today, America's leading theologian, Oprah Winfrey, said, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe only one way. Actually, there are many diverse, diverse paths leading to God. And Oprah is quite influential in our world today. And then there is Jesus. And he's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John is the one who got to record that. And that's what he taught the church in the first century. And today, just like the first century, there are many attacks on the Christian faith. The Apostle John was dealing with a serious threat to the church in 90 AD. And he writes about it in our passage today, chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And John begins with a warning, and I want to invite you to follow along. And I want to read um, verses, I'm going to start with verses 18 through 23. And the apostle John writes these words. He says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the tr truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. 
And so we'll begin with this section. And first, the warning from the Apostle John to be alert to false teaching, verses 18 through 23. John wants us to wake up and to be alert, and he wanted the church to be alert. And he begins in verse 18, and he brings up this subject of the Antichrist. Uh, he says, dear children, and that's, a, that's an affectionate term that John has for the church. He's, a, he's an older man by now, and he looks at the family of God, and he looks at believers who are children of God, and um, he affectionately addresses them as children. He said, this is the last hour. Now, like the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, John sees the character of the last days in his days. There are certain things that take place prophetically in time that must happen before Jesus returns. And, that, and some of the terminology that is used is last hour, last days. Today we talk about end times, and we're talking about what it's like in those days. Now, some, it's easy to look at what John is saying and think, well, John, it's, you, you thought Jesus was coming in your lifetime and you were wrong. Well, John focused on what Jesus taught, and that was to, to be ready because it could be now. It could be any time that Jesus returns. And that was the focus of the early church. And yes, they, they had a strong focus on Jesus' coming. He also focuses on here the Antichrist to come. He says, this is the last hour, and you've heard that the, the Antichrist is coming. There is one that's spoken of, um, a person in the future that will be empowered by Satan, will be called the man of lawlessness by the Apostle Paul, um, will be identified in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, he will be indwelled by Satan himself. The antithesis of Christ. Anti-Christ. Anti-Christian. And there is one that is coming. But John goes right to the first century, and he says, even now, many antichrists have come. So now he's speaking of many, and he's not speaking of uh, that one that is yet to come. And uh, these antichrists, too, are the antithesis of Christ. They are serving in opposition to Jesus and not promoting the truth that Jesus taught and not focused on the mission that he left. And so John is referring to people who had been with them, working in opposition to Christ. This was true of Gnostic teaching in John's day. Um, and especially from a specific teacher... Um, that, was, that, that lived in the second half of the first century during John's lifetime that was having an influence in the church. And his name was Serinthus. And I'm going to talk more about him in, in, a, in a little bit. In verse 19, he talks about the lack of true fellowship for these antichrists. He said, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Uh, there was... There was a group of false teachers. There were more than one. And they were once in uh, the fellowship. They once were church attenders. They were regular attenders. They were hanging out with God's people just like Judas did. Judas was close to Jesus for three years and around all the apostles. But somehow... He didn't get connected to the true and living God. And he walked out on Jesus. And the Apostle John is saying, they went out from us. They didn't really belong to us. There's a group of false teachers that were in a similar way like Judas. They looked like they were Christians. They acted like they were Christians. But they weren't the genuine deal. In reality, they proved a false faith. 
They left the church. They did not pass the test of true fellowship. And that's why he started in chapter 1, focusing on true fellowship, relationship with God, relationship with one another because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling us. This true connection with God, true fellowship. And John is saying, they weren't with us. He, says, he goes on and says, for if they belong to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. They didn't pass the test of love. Jesus talked about that also, or John talked about that already, to love one another. And that's a high commitment to each other. And I mentioned, I think it's a higher commitment than we realize today. Commitment to one another. These uh, false teachers walked out on the church, proved their lack of commitment. And that's not the only thing John is going to have to say to them. But they did not remain. And that's a key concept here. They would have remained if they were the real real deal. We're going to talk about that because this is a really important concept to John. It's about continuing in the faith. It's about walking day by day in faith. It's about staying committed to Christ and his church. Or we could say it's about staying on line with God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. John writes earlier, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's a test. And the test is, are, do we walk in the light? Do we walk closely with Jesus? Do we remain closely connected with Christ? Uh, and he says, if we do, we have fellowship with one another. And those false teachers have disconnected and they do not have a true fellowship and they have not walked in the light and the blood of Jesus, his son, did not purify them. If you walk in the light, it's proof of your birth, your spiritual birth. We come to verses 20 and 23 and we pick up a new term that we don't talk about a lot here at the bridge. And um, verse 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. So He says, but you, and he's talking now to the church again, to the true believers. He he, he says, um, you have an anointing. Now this is sometimes viewed as a special word. Some Christians get this anointing that makes them special. They have something, some special favor from God. Or a special kind of gift from God. Or something extra that other believers don't have. And I think that's a total misunderstanding of what the Apostle John is saying here. He says, you have an anointing. Um, Anointing means, and and this was practiced in the Old Testament, um, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil. Oil was poured on their head. And it was to symbolize they had a special calling from God. And it was to symbolize the work of the Holy Spirit. It was a symbol. The oil didn't change them, but they were doing what God instructed. And it was a symbol that they had a special role for God. And by the way, Jesus is called the Anointed One. Remember, Jesus is the Messiah, and that's what the Hebrew word, Mashiach, means. It means the anointed one. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. It means anointed one. And he had a special anointing from God to carry out his work. So what does John mean here? John means, he's speaking to the church, to all true believers, you have an anointing, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit 
in you. You have the Holy Spirit given to you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And all of you have this anointing. All of you have the Holy Spirit. And that's going to make all the difference. That's his point here. Now let me remind you and go back to John 14, uh, verses 16 and 17. So, by the way, who wrote this? John. He was there. He heard Jesus speak these words. This was uh, the night before Jesus was crucified, and so Jesus had a lot to say to his followers, and he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever. Forever. To a Christ follower, a gift forever. And he's to help us. He's to strengthen us. He is the spirit of truth. How are we going to know the truth? We have the spirit of truth. Actually, we have an anointing. Now, one of the reasons I don't use that term is because I, it's so confusing sometimes for people. It's okay to use. It's just about each person having the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. That's what is coming. Not yet, but will happen. And we know that it happens in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And then we have John 16, 12, and 13. A little bit later... And Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in John 14, John 15, and John 16. He had a, this was a big deal to him. And he's telling his followers what is to come. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth... Now, this is important because Jesus, uh, John is going to be talking about false teaching, and we need truth. And it's the spirit of truth that gives us insight. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. It's the spirit of truth. In 1 John, let's go back to the text in 1 John, verses 21 and 22, he says, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. One of the things that's really important to understand, and I don't mind reminding us, this is revealed truth. God has spoken to us. Now, this doesn't depend on you or me. It, it doesn't depend on what our culture thinks. It doesn't depend on the latest trend. It doesn't depend on what's going around. It doesn't depend on conventional wisdom. God has spoken. Our job is to understand it because he has revealed to us who he is, who we are, how to have a relationship with him, and how we can live. And it's not up for vote. And it's so important that we understand truth. He says, you know the truth. What truth is he talking about? Well, you can guess, you can bet that the people he's writing to all know about the gospel of John in detail. That's what he's been teaching. Who Jesus is, how to have a relationship with him, how to follow him. He's been teaching that. He says, you know the truth. And then he goes on and said, who is the liar? That's about deception. And by the way, it's in the Gospel of John that John tells us, the words of Jesus, that Satan is a liar. And so this is consistent with his activity and, and his way of doing things, deception. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist denying the Father and the Son. Now that's worth taking some time with. Um, now John is being di dis distinct. He's, being, he's focusing on the doctrinal error of his day. Um, 
And this is what John means by the Antichrist who is in their midst and who's been in their midst. Uh, the, 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 the Antichrist have denied that Jesus is the Christ. This is a major issue, and uh, here's why. Um, so in the latter half of the first century, there was a man named Serenthus. He had a, a high view of the Old Testament and the Old Testament law. And he, he loved the ethics, of the, sort of some of the moral purity of the law. He was also trained in Gnostic philosophy in Egypt. Egypt. And Gnosticism was a Greek philosophy, and it's dualistic, as most Greek philosophy was in those days. And so the Gnostics had a view that God is good, and he created the spiritual world, and it is all good. But the physical world is evil. It was created by a lesser god. He called it a demiurge. And it's evil. And the spiritual world and the physical world don't fit together. And so, at the same time, Serenthus got attracted to Christianity. And he had some unique beliefs about Jesus. Serenthus held Jesus was the son of Joseph and Mary, biological son. He did not believe in the virgin birth. That Jesus came just like every other child. Therefore, he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God and equal with God. Serenthus held that the Holy Spirit came on Jesus or anointed him. This anointed is a key, key word anointed Jesus at his baptism. So he was just an ordinary guy, a good guy. And then when he was baptized, this anointing came on Jesus, and he was now able to do miracles, and he was a great teacher. However, when he was crucified, this anointing, the Holy Spirit, left him, and he's just a dead man. And so Serenthus sees Jesus as a man and Christ as the anointed. Two separate beings. He did not believe in the incarnation that God came to live in the flesh of Jesus. He believed Jesus was just an ordinary human and that he is distinct from the Christ. Now, that is false doctrine. It is a huge error. Totally, it totally messes with salvation, promotes a philosophical view of Gnosticism. And that was a strong... Uh, it impacted the church in, in different ways and in different locations. The Apostle Paul faced another kind of false teaching. And one of the things that, that I want us to get this morning is you and I need to be aware that knowing false teaching and knowing the truth are really, really important because we live in a day and age where we are more concerned about what people think sometimes and we don't want to offend people. And I'm not about standing on the street corner and being on a soapbox, but we do have to know the truth, live the truth, and stand for the truth. And uh, so in the first century, the apostle Paul faced this a little bit different focus, but he faced the, a doctrinal challenge of false teaching, and Paul thinks he goes after it. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And Paul says to the Galatian churches, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who calls you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel a different way of salvation. And that particular way was there was a group of Jewish teachers who were connected to the church, and they were teaching that you have to be circumcised, you have to believe in Jesus and be circumcised before you can be saved. 
So they were taking what they liked about the gospel, and they didn't think it was enough, and so they wanted the, the uh, Christians to keep the law, and they add this circumcision as a component of the gospel. And that's not the gospel. It erases the gospel. And that's, that's Paul's point, he says. You're deserting the one who calls you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Next slide. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even though if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's pretty strong words. He says, even if, even if I come back, even if other apostles come back to you and they give you a different gospel, may God curse them. You don't mess with God's word. You don't mess with the gospel. You don't mess with the truth. Next slide. As we have already said, so now I say it again. Paul wants to make this clear. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the, what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. The danger for the church today is for us to take lightly the subject of false teaching. Now, I really uh, am encouraged. Sue's been kind of filling me in on the study of Jude, which is contending for the faith. That's the focus. And that's the whole subject. We need to be reminded of um, the need for us to contend for the faith. We, we are tempted to be influenced by a pluralistic worldview of God. We are tempted to be more concerned about, about what people think than what is the truth. I remember uh, in seminary, different classes, different subjects, and professors saying, guys... You need to know what the scriptures have to say about this subject because you're going to get in a church and you're going to get among friends and you're going to get where people see it differently. And because your relationships are so strong, you're going to be tempted to waver on what you believe. And I see that today so much. When we, when we get connected with people, good people, nice people, and they have a false view, we, we don't want to correct them. We don't want to um, think that they could be outside the realm of truth or outside the realm of salvation. We just want to embrace a lot of people. I don't think we need to attack people. I think we need to focus on the truth and help people. And the best, you know what the best argument for the truth is? Is a Christ follower following Christ. You don't have to stand on the corner and preach. Live out your faith in, 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 in reality so people can see who God is. First Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul again faces false teachers, and he says, I urged, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may... Uh, command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Next slide. Such things promote the controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. One of the doctrinal errors that we see in our culture today, there are churches today that would teach when it comes to how do you get to heaven? How do you have your sins forgiven? They would teach that you must believe in Jesus and be baptized. You've got to do both. And that's not what scriptures teach. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what the scriptures teach teach. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, the, John continues in 1 John, he says, no one, deny, no one who denies the Son has a Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has a Father also. So you can see that uh, with Gnosticism, they would say, well, I believe in God, 
and they rejected the incarnation of Christ. And, and, Jesus, and John is saying, if you reject the Son, you reject the Father also. Interesting, and this was true in the first century. It's, to, it's true today in the Jewish faith. The Jewish faith would say, we believe in the true God of the Old Testament, but we do not accept this idea that Jesus is the Son of God. They will only embrace the Father. And John says, the one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. If you do not receive the Son, you cannot receive the Father. John continues in verses 24 through 27, and he focuses on being steadfast in the truth. He says, be steadfast in the truth. He calls on the followers of Jesus to remain in the truth of God's word. First, the promise, uh, verse 24. He says, as for you, to the church, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. What have they heard? Well, they've heard, in the beginning was the word, and the word is with God, and the word was God. They know all of the gospel of John. For sure. They know all about Jesus. They know all about who he was. That the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory. That John was an eyewitness. He's touched. He's seen. He's, he's had first-hand experience with Jesus. As for you, see what you've heard from the beginning remains, remains in you. There's an important concept. If, you, if it does, you also will remain in the Son. So this key concept, John uses it over and over in 1 John. He uses it 10 times in John chapter 15. Um, John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Familiar passage. He says, remain in me. The Greek word is meno. And it's remain, stay the course, stay connected, stay close with Jesus, keep your walk close, keep your accounts short with God, remain in me, and I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, I am the, I am the vine, you are the branches, if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do zero. And God's plan is that we have a close walk with Jesus. And that's where Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. And that's where we get life. That's where we get nourishment. That's how we grow. That's how we produce fruit. That's how there are results for the kingdom of God, is by remaining in Jesus walking closely with Christ to stay focused. Back to verse 25 in 1 John chapter 2. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. When we remain with Christ, it demonstrates that we truly belong to Christ. And the promise is for us is that we have eternal life. The promise for us is that um, we have hope that we, we have a life in a new kingdom where there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more dying, no more hurt. Verses 26 and 27, he, he talks about the truth. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. John uh, writes because of the false teachers. He, he wants to warn and prepare the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and the things taught by demons. That's what John is talking about. Now, sometimes we get, I think we get a low view of Scripture and we think, well, there's a lot of ideas going around our world today and they're not really any big deal. And look what, look what uh, Paul says. He said, they're from deceiving spirits. They're things taught by demons. 
In other words, there are false teachers who are empowered by the demonic. They're, they're, it's distorting truth with intention of leading people away from the truth. And again, I think sometimes we get real sloppy in what we think about the truth. John continues in verse 27, chapter 2. He says, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. John is just telling his audience that they have the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the teacher of truth, and he affirms and he confirms the truth. And that's why I'm confident. You know, for hundreds of years, there was a church that said only priests could teach the Word of God, and that the average person had no business reading Scripture because they couldn't understand it. And I'm confident that you can read the Scripture, and you can listen, if if you spend time in God's Word, you can read the Scripture, and you can tell when things are off, if you're paying attention. You can tell if I say something that is questionable, if you're paying attention. You can tell if you hear something on the radio or if you hear a podcast. You have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to know everything there is to know, but I I trust God's whole plan and that you are smart enough and you have the Holy Spirit and He can guide you into the truth and keep you on course. If you're walking in the power of the Spirit, you are not going to fall into false teaching. If you do fall into false teaching, you will not be walking in the power of the Spirit very long. He says in verse 27, he continues, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is that that anointing is real, not counterfeit. That's the approach of the enemy, counterfeit. The enemy wants to build a counterfeit kingdom. He wants to draw people to himself and away from God. And the way he's doing it today is through many religions, not just one. Not just like, okay, here's the church of Satan and here's the church of Jesus. That's not how he's doing it. He's doing everything he can to distract people from seeing the truth. Um, But as his anointing teaches you about all things... And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, what does he say? Remain in him. There it is again. Remain in him. Stay online with God. The message of the Holy Spirit, the teaching of the Holy Spirit aligns us with with God's word to remain in, in Christ, to stay closely connected. John 15, verses Uh, 6 through 8. This is that John 15 passage where it says remain 10 different times. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers such such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. On this same night, Judas walked out on on the 12 or the other 11. This is referring to Judas. Next slide. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If we stay closely connected with God, we can expect God to answer prayer. We can expect God to align our hearts with his heart. Next slide. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That is the best argument for the gospel, is people showing that they're the real deal, that yes, they are followers of Christ. How can we tell? Because they are following. John 15, 10 and 11. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. That's how Jesus did it. He remained. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
See, joy is not about do we have the right circumstances? Is everything in our world fixed? Am I happy? That's not what joy is about. A joy is a result of remaining in a close walk with Christ and being able to bear much fruit. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's how our joy is going to be complete. This is as we follow Christ, as we keep a close connection with him. Lastly, verses 28 and 29, be confident and ready for Christ's return. Verse 28, continue the close walk. He says, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. The key word here is remain. You see it? Dear children, continue in him. That's it. That's the word. It's meno, and it means remain. Continue in him so that when he appears, you may be confident and unashamed. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back one day. Scriptures have been teaching this for 2,000 years. Jesus came the first time in fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus is going to come the second time in fulfillment of Scripture. And when he appears, we're going to meet him face to face. Now, will you be embarrassed when he appears? Will you be ashamed? You see what John is saying, it's possible for a Christ follower to be ashamed when Jesus appears. I'm talking about a real Christ follower. I'm not talking about a non-Christian. It's possible to experience shame before Jesus when he returns. If we have this if we remain in him, we have this confidence that we don't have to be ashamed, we can be unashamed before him at his coming. We should be confident and ready. If we're focused on ourselves, if we're focused on our desires or our happiness, we're going to experience some disappointment when Jesus returns. In Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36, Jesus said this, he says, be, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Does that describe any Christ follower's life? For it will come on all those who live in the face of the whole earth. Oh, whole earth. Next slide. Be always on the watch. See, that's that be ready. That's why they were in the last hour. Because be always on watch. That's how Christ followers have always been directed to live. Be on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man without embarrassment. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, a passage that perhaps is known better. Paul writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is for Christians. This is not about non-Christians. They have a different judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. This is a judgment seat of Christ, and this is for all who believe. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, meaning in this life, a Christ follower in this life, whether good or bad, whether we're going to see Jesus with great joy or whether we're going to see Jesus and be ashamed. Everybody in this, if we want to say they're in a line, everybody at the judgment seat of Christ is going to go to heaven. Before they do, they're going to stand before Jesus. And yes, there'll be rewards in heaven that'll separate. Careful, I use the word separate, but there's going to be distinctions in heaven because of rewards. Verse 29, here we go, last verse. Live out your family values. 
Live like you belong to God's family, not to the pattern of this world. Verse 29 says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. That's family resemblance. That's the the way we live reflects our spiritual birthright. If we have trusted Jesus, we are in God's family. John 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do you become a child of God? You have to believe in who Jesus is, what he's done for you. He died on the cross and he paid the penalty for your sins. He gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent. It's not about Gnosticism. It's not about Jesus being born biologically to Joseph and Mary. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, given a spiritual birth, given a new nature, becoming children of God, which puts us in God's family, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and God is our Father, and we are called to live like we are related to the Father. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we should be. It should lead us to worship. Praise. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's eternal life. Next slide. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Right now, we are shielded by God's power, way more than you know. And if you lean into it, you could probably be shielded even more. Um, So, remember that Christianity is a revealed religion. God has spoken, and it, is, it behooves us to pay attention and to learn about what God has said in his word, that we be students of the word of God. It's not about speculation or human opinion, and this is such a big deal. How much has our culture changed on what God has said? Uh, I just think of the last few years, how marriage is now just totally differently viewed in our culture. And God has an opinion on on marriage between male and female. And it was his design. And because of what's happened today, and it's so easy for us to be influenced by people around us that we like. It's okay to like all kinds of people and love all kinds of people for the sake of the gospel. There's a great, great danger for us to fit into our culture and not want to offend people. There's a danger for us for being sloppy in our commitment to Scripture, which in turn reflects being sloppy with our lifestyle. We have been given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. If we live by the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, He will guide us in to all truth. 1 John 2.3 says this, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And that is going to be the greatest argument for the gospel. The greatest thing we can do, it's the greatest impact we'll have on our world, is if we indeed are following Jesus. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, John's letter, his first letter, and the reminder for us to focus on the truth and to be aware of the impact of culture on truth. May we sharpen our focus for ourselves and for the sake of the gospel. May we be students of the word. 
May you empower us to speak up when you lead us to speak for you. Not just to mouth off or not just to disagree with people, but to be led by you when we speak for the truth. May we represent you well. May we demonstrate our love for you by how we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming to the bridge today. I was just thinking, you know, this is whole contending for the faith is a, is a really big deal in the 21st century. Um, for example, there is a very large church in our country that believes that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers and that the Heavenly Father had sex with Mary so that he could have those children. Now, that's, and, and there are a lot of nice people that belong to that group. There is another group, a very large group, that believe that Jesus is not God and that the Holy Spirit is not God, it's just a force or an influence. These all are huge issues for the sake of the gospel. And, but they're nice people. Um, thanks for coming to the bridge today. And um, if you uh, visited today, I want to encourage you uh, to stop by and, and pick up a gift for you. And I don't want to tempt you, but it has chocolate, so you may <laughs> think of that. And then I want to close with uh, the benediction that Jude used um, in contending for the faith in, boy, it's dark up here, verse 24, thank you. To him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, without, with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.